We start a new series today called We Get To. For you guys that have been with us over the summer, and we hope you've had a good summer, but we've been in a series called Tweet That Mess, and we kind of moved past that, but we're in a series now called uh, We Get To. You know, when I was growing up, um, there were some times in, in, in our home in which uh, I just had to do some things, you know, um, parents, you know, just sometimes growing up would just ask you to do things. And, and I'm at the most inopportune times, Dave Martin, how you doing, buddy? So for me, it went like this Saturdays at the Brown home were like this Scooby-Doo on Saturday mornings, right? How many of you remember that Scooby-Doo? Saturday morning cartoons, and, and sometimes before noon, that there might be an old Western that, that we'd throw on TV. And all, but then there was the afternoon, there, it was just, it was the most glorious time of the weekend because there was always a game of the week, Major League Baseball. I love baseball. Anybody else love? It's all right. Okay. But there was always something that happened on Saturdays. This week in baseball was kind of a, a recap show that showed the games during the week and there were bloopers and the best place and all that. And then I would hunker down, normally with like a, a bag of Funyuns and a Big Red, because that just made Saturday better, right? And, and I would watch the Major League Baseball game of the week. And then it never failed. And one of the most crucial times in the game, mom would come in, say, son, I need you to do, let's take out the trash, you know, clean your room, go pull a weed, something. There was always something. Mom would come in at just the crucial moment of the game. And, and, and my response was, do I have to? Mom, listen, like, there's, this is the, I've got plenty of sunlight. I'll pull the weed. I'll get the trash out. It doesn't come till Monday anyway, you know. Do I have to? I didn't like having to do certain things growing up, right? Now, you're laughing at me, and you're going, I can't believe you treat your mom that way. But you're just like me. We are a culture that doesn't like the have-tos, do we? I have to get up out of bed. I, I, I have to push myself away from Whataburger. I, I, I have to go to work. Seriously, I, I, I have to move out of my house. Yeah, many going back to college and some of you have like been out of college and you're 30 and still living at home. You, yeah, you need to move, you know, you need to move out. We don't like have tos. I have to turn in this report to the boss man. I have to be there at nine o'clock. Why can't I just show up when I want to, I have to go to school, I have to, we don't like have tos, do we? If we're not careful, even in settings like this, and in, 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 in places of worship, not only here, but, but all across our city and, and around the world, if we're not careful, we can even have that attitude towards things that places of worship or the church represent as well. I, I have to go to church. You don't have to. I'll just tell you this, there are, there are lots of people around the world that give their arm and leg to be able to sit in freedom and worship today like you're getting to, right? I, I have to read my Bible. I, I, I have to bring my best and drop it in those red boxes that you guys strategically place in my walkway. And it's like, you know, obstacle course when I walk in. 
I, I have to. I ha-. And if we're not careful, even in our things in this thing called the Christian life or, or things of the church, it can become have-tos. And have-tos just aren't fun sometimes, are they? What would happen if our have-tos became we get-tos? What if instead of having to do something and, and dreading that and, and, and really not want, what if somehow we could begin to think, you know what, we get to do this. I get to go to school. Amen. I get to do laundry. I get to go to church. I get to worship. I get to sit next to this person. I don't even know their name this morning, but I get to. You know, I get to be a neighbor too. So what if we begin to see things as get to? So that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And so uh, we got a series of things that we're going to be looking at that we get to be a part of. I'm going to start with, I think, the very, very best today. Something that we get to do. Do you realize that we get to be a part of God's rescue mission here on earth? We get to be a part of that. For whatever reason, God, in his, in, 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 in his grand scheme, has allowed you and I to be a part of his team. And, and God doesn't need us, does he? Seriously. If, do you think God really needs you? No. But yet he invites you to be a part of what I believe is the greatest calling on your life. This supersedes any job opportunity or, or any trip you could go on. It, 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 it far outweighs any, any award or recognition. You, you get to be a part. I get to be a part of God's great rescue mission here on earth. That's why 1910 Church exists. We are part of, with other churches around the globe, we are a part of rescuing people far from God. At 1910, we say that we're about two things. Number one, we... (laughs) Crud, man, it's been like nine years and we still don't know. Jeez. Change the name, new mission. We are part of finding and restoring. We're a part of that. And it's not we have to. We get to do that. Now, last week we camped out in Matthew chapter 28 and we looked at some of Jesus' famous words. He, he spoke to his disciples about going into all the nations, teaching them, baptizing them, making them disciples, right? And the charge and the call, we call that oftentimes the Great Commission. Jesus challenging and, and sending forth, really commanding. It wasn't an option. He gave them this charge. He gave them this command to go into all nations and, and teach the good news and, and make disciples. Hey, listen, Jesus believes in us. And he's calling us and he's inviting us to be a part of this get-to, to be a part of rescuing people. Hey, make no mistake about it. Jesus has great confidence in you to tell his story. He has great confidence in you to share his story. So how are we doing? Well, you know, my role as a pastor is to make you feel worthless. To let you know how you're missing it, right? And so here I go. This is the part of the program we all love. No, that's not my role. But there are some statistics that I believe should hurt our hearts, church. Should break our hearts. 
some t- statistics that show, what, show us how we are doing or how we're not doing when it comes to being a part of this great rescue mission here on earth. They tell us that there are approximately 7 billion people on earth. 7 billion. And out of those 7 billion, approximately 750 million or 11% are willing to claim Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They've been found. They once were lost, but now are found. Was blind, but now they... You guys are awesome. They profess Christ as Lord and Savior. About 2.6 billion people, or or 38% of the world's population, they've heard the gospel, but they've not accepted Christ yet as their Lord and Savior. They've heard Billy Graham or a missionary or... Christmas story, what, they've heard, but for whatever reason, they've yet to say, hey, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. At present, there are just, just over 50% of the world's population, or, or 3.5 billion people, that have not heard the gospel. And most of them do not have a realistic opportunity to hear the gospel unless somebody intentionally goes to where they are. That seems weird to us, doesn't it? We, 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 we just assume that everybody's had a television, that everyone's heard of Billy Graham, or everyone's had a, uh, a missionary come to where they live. They tell us approximately 50% of the world has yet to hear. Sobering, isn't it? Let me hurt you a little bit more. 95%, 95, say 95. 95% of all Christians have never won a person to Christ. Never won someone. Now, I don't just say, well, it's not my job. I don't, I don't save people. You're right. You don't. You don't save people. Only Jesus can save people, right? So let me help you with another statistic that you are a part of. You see, 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. So it's not only that 95 have never led someone to Christ, but 80% of us who are Christians, we never tell anyone about Christ. How are we doing in this rescue mission? Less than 2%, less than 2% are involved in any type of ministry of evangelism. And as I said last week, 70% never even give anything financially towards evangelistic or great commission type of endeavors. Church, we got to do better than this. And today we've chosen to camp out and talk about this great mandate, this great calling that God has, has placed on us. He believes in us and he's looking to us as the blood-bought, redeemed, Children of God. He's calling us to accept the mission, Ethan Hawke, and be a part of this great rescue mission. Now, as we consider this mandate, as we consider this calling that God has placed on our lives, it's important for us to remember one thing, and it's this. We must learn to see people as Jesus sees people. We must learn to see people as Jesus sees people. Sometimes 
I see people differently than the way Jesus sees people. Do you? Do people ever get on your nerves? Yeah. I think they probably got on Jesus' nerves too. Sometimes he had to get away, right? When he got in a boat and got away from people. So it's okay. But let's just be honest. Sometimes, a lot of times, we don't see people the way Jesus sees people. I want to read a story that Jesus shared from the book of Matthew chapter 9. I want to read four verses to you from this challenge that he gave. Um, Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. And, and, and through this, I want us to begin to see Jesus' heartbeat towards people. Look what the word of God says. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed what? Every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had what, church? Compassion Compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are what? Few. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. And these four verses here, we're reminded, Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus doesn't say that the believers are few. He doesn't say that the worshipers are few. Jesus does not say here in Matthew chapter 9 that even the disciples are few. He doesn't say that the intercessors are few or that the tithers are few. But he does say that what is few? Workers. He doesn't say here in Matthew chapter 9 that the kingdom of God has a lack of power or a lack of anointing. The kingdom of God does not have a lack of spiritual gifts or a lack of character or a lack of vision. But he does say that the kingdom of God has a lack of what? Workers. He doesn't say here in Matthew chapter nine that we need more prayer gatherings. He doesn't say that we need more worship experiences. He doesn't say here that we need more sermons to preach or songs to sing or resources to share or money to invest or opportunities to take advantage of. No, he says here in Matthew chapter 9, we need more what? Workers. Now listen, I'm no theologian. I'm an athlete that's probably been hit one too many times, right Scott? One of my high school buddies here. Would attest, he probably hit me many of those times. That's why I'm not right. But but when I read Matthew chapter 9, here's what this means to me. And, And I think that this is also what Jesus was trying to drive home to his listeners that day. And it's probably a good word for us. Are you listening? The problem is not the world. It's the workers who are the issue. The, the, the world around us is, is not the problem. The, the world around us is not the illness. Although I think we all would agree that our world is in trouble, right? That there are some things going on that, that should break our hearts. But, but that's not the problem. Lost people are living like lost people know how to live. You know that, right? You, you've, been, 
redeemed. You've been found by Jesus and therefore you know how you should be living because you, the, the gospel has been illuminated in your life. But, but for those that are still walking in darkness, that's all they know. That They're not the problem. The, the problem is the people who follow Christ yet do not go and engage the world. That's the problem. That's the problem. The problem is that places like this will be filled with worshipers all across our nation today. But yet, there's a, there's, it's probably safe for me to say that not many worshipers today will be willing to go out and engage a sick and broken world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? And is it safe for me to say that? It, it ought to break our hearts. It, it, it should hurt us. You see, because here in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, Jesus promises that, that there is an entire harvest that is waiting if workers would only be intentional and engaging. Intentional. That means that I make an effort. I, I'm not waiting for the game to come to me. I'm taking the game to them. Are you with me? And engaging. Engaging, that means I'm going to run to somebody and I'm going to engage them. I'm not just going to kind of just be present and hope that it happens. No. I'm going to be the aggressor, AJ. I am going to them. How are we doing so far? Are we okay? I want to share with you some things that I think that are important for us to remember about this harvest that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 9. Uh, about these people that, that Jesus sees. Th these things are so important. If we want to be a part of God's rescue mission here on earth, some things about the harvest that we need to remember. Number one, it's valuable. The harvest is valuable. Are there any farmers? Any, anybody farm? Anybody farm in this room? Any? We, we've only had one. We've only had only one farmer today, which breaks my heart because farmers only is going to suffer, but, but we only have one, and, and, and I don't know a lot about farming. By the way, our community garden back here behind our church, the, where the red building is and the fence, three acres, we're building community garden. It's, it's happening, and in the next few weeks, you're going to have an opportunity, since, since you don't know how to farm, you need to Google it and learn how to grow a cucumber, okay? You need to learn because we're going to give you an opportunity to, to adopt your own garden bed. Amen? But here's what I do know. A farmer knows that what he has planted out in his field, it's worth something. It's, it's valuable. Not only does, does it maybe feed him, but it, it puts food on his table, but, but also what he can't eat or what he doesn't eat, what does the farmer do with his harvest? He goes and he sells that. It's of worth. It means something to someone else. Guys like me who go to H-E-B. Because here everything's better and I buy the cucumber, right? It means I'm so thankful for the farmer. He knows, he knows that an overweight, bald-headed guy needs a cucumber to eat. Amen? It's valuable. It has worth. I think that that's kind of what Jesus saw when he spoke these words in Matthew 9. That as he looked out over the people that day, he saw value everywhere. Hey, church, can I remind you of something? People matter to God. People matter to God. They do. Why would I say that? Well, Scripture supports it in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. 
says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Do, do, do you realize that, that people matter to God? They, they, they mean so much to him that, that he would send his only son, Jesus, to come and lay down his life for sinners. What is a sinner? Well, it was people like you and I that were far from God. It was people kind of like you and I that just kind of turned our back and, and, and kind of, you know, said, God, we, 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 we don't need. People matter to God. Your boss, who's a jerk sometimes, matters to God. I know that's a stretch, maybe. It's hard for you to see that. Your, your, your neighbor, who's, who's, who doesn't keep their yard up as good as you do, whose dog barks incessantly, who, who, whose front yard looks like Fred G. Sanford Salvage, you know, out front. You know, they matter to God. The, the guy that cuts you off in traffic, oh, by the way, it happened to me this week. Pulling in here to the church parking lot on Wednesday. Now, you guys know that as you top the hill, you need to start slowing down from 60 because that's the speed limit. You need to slow down to make the turn. So I'm slowing down. I've got my signal engaged, letting people know I'm making a left-hand turn. And there's a young man that proceeds to just cruise up and get right. He's drafting. He's right on my bumper. And I'm slowing down. And so I see him. And and just to let him know that I see him, I just kind of wave in my rearview mirror. I see you, cowboy. I got this. I see you. Well, he wanted me to see him as I turned in as he gave me the finger. Now, I got a new truck that yet doesn't have a 1910 church sticker on it. And had I not been scheduled to come into this house and preach about the love of Jesus, I would have turned my beast around and gone and given him a sermon. He wouldn't have known what hit him or who hit him. I didn't have a church sticker on, right? Gave me the finger. I so, in that moment, did not think that he mattered to God. Who gives a preacher the finger? Surely had he known who I was, he would not have done that, right? Sometimes people are just hard to love, aren't they? Sometimes it's hard for us to see their value in the kingdom. Sometimes it's hard for us to think even that person matters. Absolutely, they do. You and I were like that. We were people that had given God the finger. We were people that had turned our back. And aren't you so thankful that God said, you know what? I got this and I got you. And even though you don't love me, and even though you don't know me yet, hey, check this out. I'm going to make a way. Because someday, someday, there's going to be somebody from maybe 1910 Church or First Baptist Church of Wiley, Texas, that are going to come, and they're going to share my story with you. I love you. Church, we need to understand something. People matter to God. And when Jesus looks out across our world, he sees great value. Are we okay so far? Number two, this harvest that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 9, it must be gathered or it will be lost. You know, farmers are amazing to me. They battle so many enemies when they're raising a crop. You know that, right? The weather, uh, insects, mechanical failure. There's so many things that, that go into to raising a harvest. And farmers battle constantly as they they try to to grow a a crop but they understand that 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 that, that there's an enemy that's trying to to tear them down and 
Do you understand that as we're part of this great rescue mission that God's called us to, do you understand that there's an enemy that's after us and gonna keep us from doing the very same thing of reaching and bringing in a harvest? You know that, right? In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus calls him the thief. He says, the thief has come to steal to kill and destroy. You know, you know that should we choose to accept this mission, we get to be a part of it. You know that there's an enemy that's gonna stop us and try to keep us from bringing in the harvest. But we need to understand something, that this harvest must be gathered or it will be lost. And make no mistake about it, church. Jesus has come to give us a rich and satisfying life. And do we not believe that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? Oral Roberts taught me that on Sundays growing up as a kid. I get that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Bonus Bible, it's not on the screen, but listen. You belong to God. You already have won a victory over these people. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Listen. This thing that we are a part of, this rescue mission, is so important. It, it, it's so big. It, 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 so much hangs in the balance. There's an enemy that's going to do whatever he can to keep you from bringing this harvest in. But check this out. Do not give up. We better bring the harvest in or we'll lose it. We'll lose it. You see, a farmer knows that at the peak of growing season, he's got to battle this enemy. He, he, he's got to find a way to bring that harvest in. Those crops have to be gathered. If he delays, it can mean disaster. Church, for far too long, we've let harvest after harvest stay in the field far too long. We've let it pass us by. We've been content to sit in our cathedrals and worship. We've chased our own desires and we've let many people slip through the cracks, haven't we? It's important that we get after the harvest. Now, we we don't know how much longer we have. Look what James wrote in 414. He said, your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. You see, we're not promised Another moment, another day. We're not promised we'll reach the first day of school. We're not promised, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll actually see Dallas win the Super Bowl ever again. We're not. We're not promised another moment. But a good farmer, a good harvester knows that I need to go right now and gather the harvest or it's going to be lost. Say amen. Third thing about a harvest I want you to see real quick is this. It's urgent. It's urgent. Hey, church, can I just remind you that this spiritual harvest business that we're in, it is urgent stuff. I love what the apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter four, verses four through five. He says, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. How many opportunities? Everyone. That means the lady that's about to serve you or the gentleman that's gonna serve you lunch when you go eat here in a few moments. That means that person checking you out at Walmarts. That means that person that you sit next to in the cubicle, the teammate on your team, the, the, the person that, that plays in the percussion section with you in the high school band. You need to make the most of every opportunity. Guys, it is urgent. 
Paul says, make the most of those. Guys, the spiritual harvest business is urgent stuff. Harvest is always urgent. The opportunity doesn't last long. And because we know that, church, listen, we need to drop everything to bring it in. If we wait any longer, we'll miss it. God wants us to feel this kind of urgency as we go and as we tell his story about about a man who, who loves people enough to die for them. Come on, church. You're storytellers. There's no greater story you can tell that holds this much significance. It's a matter of eternity. You get that, right? It's a matter of heaven and hell. People matter to God. We never know when our time will run out. So God's given you a little bit more time this morning. You're still here. You still know some people that are far from God and he's still giving you a little bit more time. Will you run to that opportunity and make them, it is urgent. Listen, we need to not be so full of uneternal stuff that we miss out on what matters the most. It's probably safe for me to say that every one of us Every one of us in this room knows someone who desperately needs Jesus, right? How many of you know someone that needs Jesus? Raise your hand. Yeah. If you don't know someone, you need to hang out with lost people more. Quit hanging out with church people. Lost people are more fun. Scary but fun, that's right. Yeah. Um, most of us know someone who needs Jesus. And the story that we have to tell him is a matter of heaven or hell. In fact, statistics tell us that we know on average at least five people on a first name basis who are lost, who don't know Christ. At least five people. At least five people on a first name basis. I loved it. We had a a gentleman here, first service, U.S. Army. I said, John, you know somebody on first name basis? He said, I think I know them by their last name, sir, (laughs) because they wear last name on their... I said, you're right. But you know somebody... You're right, yeah. We know at least five people, first or last name basis, that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What are you doing to be a part of rescuing them? Do, do, do we care? Do, do we care about people enough to tell? Do we really believe that people matter to God? Hey, what will you do this week to tell his story? As the band comes up and we get ready to head to lunch, I just want to remind us to see the value and the necessity. To see the urgency of us being in the field, bringing in a harvest. Hey, let's not make this more difficult than it really is. Jason, I just don't know what to say when I encounter someone or hey you know when I when I'm checking out at H-E-B I don't have my Bible and I, I definitely don't have scripture memorized I know the words to Red Solo Cup but I don't know where to begin to share Jesus with someone you know what you have enough for those of you that have already given your life to Jesus Christ you know what just start there just tell them the difference that Jesus has made in your life 
Don't make it any more difficult. Don't try to pull out words from the air that you've heard someone else say or bridge and chasm illustrations. and cro- Just tell someone what Jesus has done for you. That's enough. Your life is a living testimony as to the difference that Jesus can make in someone, right? So will you be will, willing to run to those who are lost in darkness? Will you rescue them and bring them to the light? I, I love that we have our found sign hanging up in the atrium. I don't know if you saw it. 42 light bulbs on that sign, found. Most of them are dark. 40 of them are dark. There's two that are lit up. You know what's happened today? Two people have walked from darkness into the light. They've given their life to Christ. And so we just kind of, we screw that light bulb in just as a reminder. Look, someone who, who was lost is now found. Amen? So here's the deal. You have our permission to go rescue people and tell them about Jesus and lead them to a relationship with him. And then you just come, you hop on one of those stumps out there, hop on your wife's shoulders, I don't care. And you activate that bulb because someone who was walking in darkness has seen the great light, amen? We get to rescue people. We get to be a part of this. It's not a have to. You can continue just to sit there on your rump and not do anything for the kingdom. Or you can say, I choose to accept this mission. God, thank you for having enough confidence in us to lead people from darkness into light. God, thank you for rescuing us and let us run and be rescuers. All God's people pray.